Hi, this is Chris Date, and you're listening to the The Apologetics Podcast, episode 27, In the Beginning. Today I'm interviewing Steve Hamm from Answers in Genesis to talk about creation, the authority of scripture, and his recent book, In God We Trust, Why Biblical Authority Matters for Every Believer. Before we get into the interview, I just want to say how much I enjoyed the privilege of interviewing Greg Kokel from Stand to Reason last week. Melinda the Enforcer emailed me afterwards to tell me that Greg said I was a very good host, and I told her how kind that was, even if it wasn't entirely honest. Melinda also tweeted the link to my show from STR Tweets, and the next morning I was blown away to find that the episode had been downloaded over a hundred times in less than 24 hours. Now look, I'm not in this to get a ton of listeners, but because I share Greg's desire to infect Christians with a passion for theology and apologetics, I'm excited by the hope that maybe some of you new listeners enjoyed the interview and will consider subscribing to my show and listening to other episodes. On the other hand, I will confess that the flood of downloads also embarrasses me a little bit, because after going back and listening to the introduction to the interview, I realized I made a pretty obvious blunder, obvious at least to some of you. When I was explaining my podcast's logo, I said that it was made up of the Greek letter alpha inside another Greek letter, but I called that letter theos. <laughs> Now, I'm no Greek scholar, I certainly can't read it, but I know the alphabet, and this was a silly mistake to make. No, the letter isn't theos, it's theta. However, the word theology does come from the Greek word theos, which begins with the letter theta, and so I think that my brain just misfired a little bit. In any case, apart from that and a brief Skype connection problem when Greg was explaining his testimony, I think the episode went well, and I hope you were convicted, as I am, by the importance of subjecting our emotions and experiences to careful biblical thinking. Next up in my promo rotation, funny enough, is uh, Greg Kokel's Stand to Reason radio show. This is the show your pastor warned you about. Hello friends, Greg Kokel here, Stand to Reason, and I'm so glad you joined me today. Looking forward to three hours of conversation, reflection, And uh, giving you a piece of my mind on the most important things that we can be thinking about. And yes, I think thinking is critical, even though feeling is part of it. I don't know if I've said this before on the air regarding Christianity. Pardon me. But uh, emotions are what makes life delicious. And uh, careful thinking is what makes life safe. Listen to Stand to Reason live on Sundays, 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on AM 740 KBRT in California or on AM 1010 KBW in Texas or online using the link that I'll include in my show notes. And you can download the archive shows via podcast as well at str.org. Um, you can also find a lot of other useful resources at, that, at their website, and I definitely recommend you check them out. Now, Greg and I do disagree, however, on a couple of issues, and I've tried to call in and put a stone in his shoe when it comes to those topics, uh, one of which is the subject of today's podcast. Now, because I haven't addressed this topic in my podcast yet, at least I don't think I have, and because today's interview will be a little shorter than usual, let me do a little bit of introductory explaining before we move into the interview. 
Some listeners might not be aware of this controversy. Other listeners may fall very firmly on one side of the debate or another, like I do, and then still others might be sick of the debate altogether. The controversy I'm talking about is the debate over the age of the Earth. According to most modern scientists, the universe is something like 13 billion uh, years old, and the Earth is somewhere around 4 or 5 billion years old. The first living organism sprang into existence over a billion years ago, and since then life has evolved from that single solitary organism into all the diverse species of life we see today. Now, amongst professing Christians, there are, broadly speaking anyway, three major views when it comes to the age of the Earth and evolution. Many professing Christians side with the majority of modern scientists and believe that the Earth and the universe are very old and that life did in fact evolve from a single ancestor over the course of a, over a billion years. Although they would say that God either set up the process to work or guided it along the way, whatever. These could be characterized as theistic evolutionists. Other professing Christians side with the majority of scientists when it comes to the age of the Earth and the universe, but they reject evolution and common descent, instead acknowledging that the Bible teaches clearly that God created Adam and Eve in an act of special creation, fully formed human adults. These are typically called Old Earth creationists, and this is the camp that Greg would fall in. Still others, including myself, the weirdos, <laughs> we believe scientists today are wrong, both when it comes to the age of the Earth and universe, as well as common descent via evolution. We, who are typically called young earth creationists, believe the Bible teaches that God created the universe about 6,000 years ago over the course of six 24-hour solar days. Now going back to Greg's and my disagreement, like I said, he falls within that second category, rejecting evolution but believing that the earth and universe are very old. Um, he thinks that Adam and Eve were created in the order of tens of thousands of years ago. Now. He recognizes the weight of at least some biblical evidence, uh, such as the genealogies in chapters 5 and 11 of Genesis. As we talked about on his show on uh, a couple of weeks ago, these seem to give an unbroken chain of ancestry from Adam to Abraham, including the ages at which each father had his sons. And when you add those up and take into consideration that we know Abraham lived somewhere shortly after 2,000 years B.C., it suggests that Adam lived about 4,000 years B.C., now, Greg admitted that he hasn't yet found an intellectually satisfying way of understanding those genealogies in a way which is compatible with his understanding of the age of the earth, but he believes that the archaeological evidence strongly favors a much more ancient civilization, and that the scientific evidence strongly favors a very, very old universe, and he finds all of that evidence very compelling. But this is precisely where the debate between old earth creationists and young earth creationists lies. Because Greg finds the archaeological and scientific evidence incontrovertible, as, as he put it, he believes the Bible can and ought to be understood in a way which is compatible with that evidence, even if he's not yet found a satisfactory understanding of the genealogies. We young earthers, on the other hand, find the biblical evidence incontrovertible, and so we believe the archaeological and scientific data can and ought to be understood to, in a way which is compatible with the biblical evidence. You see, old earthers, or, or Greg at least, <laughs> and we young earthers, agree that the Bible is without error and is our ultimate authority, and we agree that we have the capacity to understand certain things about reality from the natural realm. But I think there's a subtle, or maybe not so subtle, difference in this particular case, because whereas Greg seems to prefer to be unable to give a satisfying answer to certain biblical evidence, in light of seemingly compelling natural evidence, I prefer to be unable to give a satisfying answer to certain natural evidence in light of compelling biblical evidence. 
This is particularly the case because although we were created to be able to accurately perceive and understand the world, we're fallen sons of Adam. And apart from the objective standard that is the Bible, the scientific endeavor is a subjective process prone to being influenced by our hearts, which are, of course, in opposition to God. Now, that's not to say that the scientific process is wholly untrustworthy. No, not at all. But like Greg and I talked about on my show last week, the Bible is the objective standard by which we as Christians are called to test our feelings, our thoughts, and our experiences. Given the choice then, to either believe something favored by the natural evidence, but which is very difficult to reconcile with the Bible, or to believe something that is favored very strongly by the biblical evidence, but which is difficult to reconcile with the natural data, I believe we should choose the latter. And I don't think the natural data is very compelling evidence in favor of an old earth to begin with. So that's what today's interview is all about, and what my guest's book is about, the supremacy of biblical authority and the importance of testing all things, not just theological concepts, but all ideas, all of them, in light of the objective, authoritative standard of God's Word. So with that introduction out of the way, let's move into today's interview. It's my pleasure to be joined today by Steve Hamm, Senior Director of Outreach for Answers in Genesis and author of In God We Trust, Why Biblical Authority Matters for Every Believer. Thanks so much for joining me today, Steve. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Sure. Sadly, I suspect that many of my listeners won't be familiar with Answers in Genesis. So could you tell us about uh, the mission of Answers in Genesis, how you became a part of it, and what you do as Senior Director of Outreach? Sure. Uh, Chris, we uh, look after, well, really, we're supporting the church. We want to support uh, the church. We're a partner to the church. We're a para, uh, parachurch ministry. So we want to support the church in upholding biblical authority where it's most being attacked today. And where it is most being attacked today in, in our world, in our society, really is the history of Genesis. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1 to 11, the history that we read that gives us our biblical worldview. And so what we really want to do is support the church and, and help people to understand that the authority of God's word is really fully authoritative. It's fully true, reliable, confirmable. And when we know that, that can really help us to know that the message within it is also reliable. We really are about pointing to the reliability of the message of Jesus Christ, his gospel, through making sure that we understand that the authority of the Bible is truly what it says it is. Hmm. And how did you become a part, and what do you do as Senior Director of Outreach? Well, uh, yeah... I, uh, I moved to America a, a little over a year ago. I've been a part of Answers in Genesis for quite a long time, uh, but I moved here uh, to take up a full posi- full-time position as uh, looking after the actual outreach of the ministry. That is the message of this ministry. And really what I'm, I'm uh, responsible for is making sure that this message gets out to as many places as, as possible, that we are doing conferences in churches and, and our big conferences that we run each year. For instance, this year we're running a big mega conference and a pastor's conference towards the end of the year just to help uh, make sure that this, this message of biblical authority is, is being delivered. So. Well, I'm glad that I could be a part of that by uh, letting you outreach to my, my listeners. Could you also tell us briefly about the Creation Museum in Kentucky and the Ark Encounter that's being planned for 2014? 
Yeah, sure. We have a 70,000 square foot museum here that you can walk, and it really is a walk through biblical history. So if you come, uh, we're just, uh, just near the uh, Greater Cincinnati Airport in northern Kentucky. We're only 10 minutes away from there, and uh, just a, a wonderful uh, area that you can come to. We've got uh, a wonderful museum you walk through. Uh, it's, in, in a, as I said, a walk through biblical history. We have animatronic dinosaurs. We've got uh, state-of-the-art planetarium, special effects theatres, and all of these things are answering questions to show you that you can truly trust the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Now, that we've had the museum open now for over four years, and we've had over one million guests, and, it, and it's just uh, having a wonderful ministry every single day. But as an addition to that, uh, we are now around about 40 minutes away from where the museum is, uh, going to be building a life-size uh, model of Noah's Ark, of, of the Ark, just to show people, again, uh, they'll be able to come in and, and we're going to have all sorts of things there, a first century village and uh, a pre-Noah village and, and uh, you know, Tower of Babel exhibit, num- number of different things that are going to be in um, in this wonderful area and it, it again is going to be really emphasizing hey look at these things the Bible uh, as the dimensions of the ark in, in themselves you know a football field and a half long about <laughs> uh, four stories high and as you look at uh, how big this is you'll see you know really there you can answer the questions how did Noah fit all of these animals onto the ark and and how did they you know, look after these animals through this time and all of those things we're going to show people that, hey, the biblical history is really confirmable. Yeah, that's awesome. I hope I can make my way out there someday. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk in a moment about your book uh, and about the issue of biblical authority, but I, I want to set the stage for my listeners first. Uh, you mentioned uh, earlier that one particular area in which biblical authority is being attacked uh, is evolution and the age of the earth. And if you don't mind, could, could you summarize that debate for us? What, what is it that scientists operating from a secular, materialistic worldview conclude about these kinds of things? And in contrast, what do scientists operating from a position of biblical authority acknowledge as being that which scripture teaches wow yeah yeah that's uh that's a huge discussion by the way so i'll try (laughs) and give you a very small uh quick answer sure look it really is a debate over uh about man's word versus god's word that's that's what it's all about uh ever since genesis 3 uh in the garden of eden the serpent really said did did god really say and that's what's happening throughout the world today it's it's this it's this doubt did god really say did god really say that uh, he created it six days that you know that um there really was a worldwide flood you know all of these things that we've read in the history uh of god's word well the the whole debate is about man's word versus god's word and it's about starting points and different starting points will lead you to look at evidence uh with a different view uh, of, of historical bias. Everybody has a bias when they're looking at things. So if we're looking at, for instance, animal kinds or whatever we're looking at, uh, we'll all have a bias in relation to history. And the, the real, the real, uh, difference comes in is people think that they can use a, a, a false sense of neutrality to say what happened about the past. Well, we weren't there. We don't know. Unless we've got a historical record telling us something about the past, how can we know really what happened, for instance, to the fossil we might be looking at? Or, or, or how did the different animal kinds and different animal species get here? And all of those sorts of different things. So, realistically, 
what people are saying in relation to particularly origins, uh, they're saying, okay, well, we want to come from neutrality, which means we're, we're not accepting God in this picture. We're not accepting God in the bias of our history. And really, uh, to try and look at, at evidence from a position of neutrality, what we're really saying is we're trying to look at evidence from a position of saying there is no God. Mm. Unfortunately, a lot of people try and do that and then fit that their, their results, their interpretations of that evidence into the Bible. So they're really taking their bias of there is no God and uh, that the world has, uh, trying to view evidence in the world's way and trying to fit that worldly uh, compromise into, into Scripture. So it really is about bias and starting points. My bias when I look at evidence is that God's Word is what it tells me it is, that it is truly His Word, that it is authoritative, that it was given to to us through men, it was God carried men along by the Holy Spirit and he has breathed out his word to us. The entirety of his word is truly his word. And as a result, it should be fully reliable, trustworthy, confirmable in relation to everything it says, including its history. So that when I look at evidence, I look at it with the bias of his word and it tells me how to understand that evidence in front of me and it actually confirms the history of his word. Yeah. Well, so for those listeners who, who might not be aware of this, uh, you know, secular scientists operating from what they think is a position of neutrality are going to say that the universe and Earth are, are about how old and, and, and how did diversity of life come about? That sounds like a simple yeah. question, but... <laughs> well, it, th- this is the thing. It keeps changing. Hmm. It keeps changing all the time. Um, you know, however many billions of years, uh, it, it, you know, the, the so-called something came from nothing. And... Uh, and they they come this way because you know it it, it has been it's not actually a new view it's it's not something that uh, the the latest 200 years of of science has brought about in fact you know even the Epicureans which uh, Paul talked to uh, at Mars Hill they actually believed in in long ages and that matter formed over over long periods of time as well it's 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 been uh, a view that's been around for quite a long time, uh, but it's not the biblical view, it's not the biblical history. Well, so tell us, uh, for those who might be surprised um, that we're, we're saying pretty confidently that the Bible teaches something other than what secular scientists are saying, what is a biblical case for uh, a fully formed uh, universe created about 6,000 years ago? Well, you know, if, if we're actually looking at um, uh, the, the age of the earth, there's, there's really, there's really um, the gene- sorry genealogies are one of the things that we would you know first look for in in god 's word you know we find that uh, we have genealogies that go from Jesus right through back to Adam. We know the ages of these people in the genealogies, so we can put that together and we know the timeline from Jesus to Adam. We know that Adam was uh, created on the sixth day of of creation, and so if you uh, read the Bible's history as it's written and not try to place man's philosophies into that, we understand that each day was a normal day. There was evening, there was morning, the day was numbered. And also in Exodus chapter 20 verse 11, uh, the Bible tells us that uh, we have the seven-day work week on the basis of the creation week because for six days God created everything, uh, the heavens and the earth and all that is in it in six days and on the seventh day he rested and therefore we get that seven uh, that seven-day week uh, that was modelled off the actual seven-day creation week, uh, including God's day of rest in, in, on day seven. So um, 
if we actually look and we place those genealogies together with creation week it gets us to about 4,000 years up until Jesus there's been about 2,000 years since so there's about 6,000 years right there yeah, yeah, and for my listeners, if you check out Genesis chapter 5 and Genesis 11, I believe are the chapters where we see those genealogies in place, at least from uh, Adam to Abraham. Um, <clears throat> so now you mentioned in, in, in answering the previous question this, this idea of bias and um, uh, understanding the uh, natural data from a biblical perspective. Um, so so it's not that we're rejecting science, and in fact, in chapter 4 of you, your book, you write that uh, rejecting science is not a position that any Christian should take. You say this is especially true considering that the laws that govern scientific observation have their origin in God, and so there definitely should be a consideration of evidence. So, uh, and, and I think that the answer is in Genesis likens this to wearing biblical glasses. So with that in mind, could you give us some examples of scientific data which affirms what the Bible says about the origin of life in the age of the earth? Well, firstly, you've just got to understand something, and that is that um, that evidence actually... The, the nature of evidence is actually very, very important. You've got to understand what evidence is. You know, we look at a fossil, and some people might look at a fossil, and, uh, for instance, an evolutionist might pick up that fossil and say, here, look, this is evidence for evolution. Well, actually, no, it's not. It's not evidence for evolution. It's just evidence. It's, mm. it's evidence. It's evidence for both the evolutionist and the creationist to have a look at, and the Christian to have a look at. And so we, um, we look at that evidence. We know that that evidence doesn't speak. It doesn't come with a date on it. Um, so we have to actually interpret evidence and we have to interpret evidence by our senses. Now the first thing that you have to ask yourself is, hey, uh, how can you know that you can trust your senses? Mm. Can, you, can you trust your senses if uh, you believe that everything comes about by random chance? <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know if you can trust your senses. How do you know that you're going to be right? How do you know that your scientific reasoning is, is correct and your observations are even correct? But, you know, if you start and you, and you acknowledge that, hey, in the Bible it tells me that God is the God who ordains all laws, that, that he, he sets everything up, then I can look at that evidence and I can look at it uh, through his eyes and through understanding that, um, that evidence from the, from the perspective of uh, history. Uh, so we have to interpret evidence, and the interpretation is based on our on our bias. Um, so you know, then we can go through many different different things that are going to say, okay, well, you know, looking at uh, certain evidences, it's not the fact that they prove anything; uh, it's what they confirm. And we can we can look at many different things, talking about what they confirm. For instance, the fact that there is rock layers all over the world, uh, you know, billions of, of rock layers with, uh, with fossils through them uh, is a great, um, a great thing to see in relation to, well, this is a confirmation of biblical history that says this whole world was flooded by a major catastrophic flood. Hmm. The fact that we see uh, people groups all around the world and these people groups have common characteristics within them and yet they are different from other people groups is a great confirmation of the fact that in, uh, in Genesis chapter 9 to 11 we read of God confusing the languages of people and isolating gene pools into language groups that would have spread all through the world and developed their common characteristics within the gene pools of those language groups thus showing us different people groups all around the world. There's great evidence that confirms the biblical history all over the world. Mm. We just have to uh, interpret it through the lens of uh, a biblical authority rather than through human autonomy. Sure. Yeah. 
Well, so now on the other hand, though, um, I mean, if we're if we're honest, there is some natural data which, at least on the surface, seems kind of difficult to uh, to reconcile with what we're saying about what the Bible teaches. I'm thinking thing, thinking of things like distant starlight, uh, radio radiometric dating, those kinds of things. Um, how should the authority of Scripture and the idea of wearing biblical glasses shape how we approach these lines of evidence? Well, actually, you know, even then it it then again comes down to bias. But uh, let's, uh, for instance, talk about um, uh, radiometric dating. And by the way, I can't answer all the questions on radiometric dating and distant starlight in our interview today. <laughs> sure. And so, please, if, if uh, there is, uh, I'm going to give you some general uh, discussion. But uh, any any uh, anything that you need to know in more technical detail, go to our website answersingenesis.org, and we've got wonderful articles on radiometric dating, uh, distant starlight. In fact. Uh, we've got our uh, PhD astrophysicist here, uh, Dr. Jason Lyle, who has just written an incredible article in our latest uh, Answers magazine that is uh, a three-monthly uh, publication that goes out. And uh, it is on the uh, uh, Anisotropic Synchrony Convention talking about uh, distant starlight. But see, here's the thing. Um, it's all about assumptions. Radiometric dating is, uh, if, if you're uh, looking at uh, how old, for instance, a, a rock is, uh, and then you're, and you're suggesting, okay, with this radiometric dating, it depends on the, um, on the elements there that are unstable that can actually change. For instance, uranium over time, uh, it's an unstable element, will change and uh, become lead. And so what it is is a measurement of those unstable elements and the change of those unstable elements over time. And uh, what uh, a person using radiometric dating will do is they will look at, um, at, at the number of those elements and say, okay, well, based on this, we believe uh, this rock was formed you know, many millions of, of years ago. Uh, the problem with that is um, it's assuming that the same rates of decay in those elements that are present today have always been present in the past. Hmm. Well, we don't know that. We don't know that um, that there could have been uh, times in the past that would force uh, that decay to become uh, much, much quicker. Or we don't know, for instance, how many of those elements, the, the makeup of those elements in the rock uh, originally. So there are so many assumptions that uh, people, are, people have in relation to such things as, as radiometric dating uh, that it's impossible to know exactly uh, how old uh, uh, a particular rock is. And to give you an example, Mount St. Helens, uh, <laughs> which, um, which was a great catastrophe, a volcanic catastrophe in, in 1980, uh, formed a lava dome. That, um, that rock was dated about 12 years after using radiometric dating, and the dates came out from between 340 million... Uh, <laughs> 340,000 years old to 2.8 million years old. Mm. Um, we know that that rock formed 12 years previously. Right. Uh, but unfortunately, what a lot of people say is, oh, okay, well, for, for newer rocks, it doesn't work. Only the older rocks it works on. <laughs> yeah, I don't really buy it. Yeah, it sounds pretty arbitrary, uh, special pleading. Um, yeah, that's good. Uh, and, and we will direct uh, my listeners to your website. Um, now, many listening might think that it doesn't really matter whether one believes that the Earth is young or old. But as you've pointed out, this debate isn't really about origins. It's about authority. And I, what I really like is the case that you make in Chapter 2 of your book called Hard to Believe. And, and I honestly mean it when I say that it's one of the best illustrations I've seen of why it really does matter. Summarize for us the case that you make in that chapter. Well, you know, here's the thing. 
uh, everybody believes something about the past and everybody believes something about the future. If you go up to your friend and say, where are you going to when, when you die? And they'll say, oh, I'll be okay, you know, I've been good or, or, or you know, different things like that. But the, the Bible says actually there's only one way to salvation and that's through Jesus Christ. Um, the gospel is actually not that easy. It's not about easy believism. Now you think about what you have to believe in relation to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have to believe that Jesus is God become man. That's not easy believism. <laughs> or that we are sinners. Who wants to be told that they're sinners, that they're essentially evil? Who wants to be told that there is only one way? Your way isn't right if it's not in agreement with the one way that is in Scripture. I mean, you know, somebody tell Oprah, there's, there's only one way uh, <laughs> of salvation. And so, you know, th you better have it on good authority. I mean, this message is saying there is only one way to, uh, to forgiveness and to eternal life, and that is through Jesus Christ, that it's through faith in Jesus Christ who died and rose again uh, for us, for our sins. And, uh, and as a result of that, you know, you're telling everybody else, every other view, is wrong. Every other view will lead to judgment and hell. And realistically, that is uh, that is a huge thing to say. You better have it on very, very good authority. Well, it just so happens we are. If the document that houses that message, if if we get this message from that document, you better want to make sure that that document is a reliable document. That it really is what it says it is. And you know what? Every time you read through God's word and you see how it makes sense of this world, how it is confirmable in its history, how it is just perfect in every way, you just realize, okay, yes, this message is reliable. The message of Jesus Christ is reliable. And what's great about that is so is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Those who love, who are in Christ, have an eternity of glory with him, and there is nothing more assured. Yeah. It, it is really an amazing thing, and, and I think people underestimate the importance of, um, or, or the ramifications of, of uh, questioning what the Bible really means when it comes to origins. Um, you know, I think that the reason why children are abandoning the faith in, in swaths is because they're they're taught in school the facts are that the you know universe is millions of years old, and then they see the Bible saying something, uh, saying something different. Well, what are they going to conclude about its message of sin and the, and the cross and so forth? So, yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, now there's a other there's a ton of great stuff in your book and I don't want to give my listeners the impression that it's only about authority when it comes to the science of origins. Uh in section 3 uh entitled Authority and Christian Practice, you devote a chapter to each of five other areas in which the authority of scripture has been neglected. Can you tell us about those? Yeah, sure. Uh, we actually deal with uh, a, a number of different things. In the middle of the book, too, by the way, uh, there's a there's a little view of just looking at the authority of God Himself as Father, uh, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how you see His His authority just coming out in His very character. Hmm. And uh, it's it's wonderful to just do that study uh, as looking at God and His authority. But uh, then it, I really wanted a book that helped us to see that hey, if we can confirm the authority of the Bible, we can see it in who God is it means that we actually have to live under his authority. And uh, I wanted to have a look at what it means to truly accept the authority of God in matters of Christian living, and that is in, in Christian living itself, in things like evangelism, uh, in the way we worship, the way we do church, uh, in the way we raise our families and, and our husbands and wives, and all of those things. The Bible, as uh, an authoritative, as God's authoritative work, gives us instruction for all of those areas, and we should pay great attention to it. Yeah, I agree, absolutely. 
Well, so I'm going to ask you a hard question, or at least it's, it's been hard for some of my guests, and I think that's a good thing. I'd like you to leave me and my listeners with a parting message of some sort. As we wrap up, what would you most like us to take away from our discussion today? What, what's most important to you? I'll tell you what's most important to me. People misunderstand sometimes what we do. We do not give a defense of biblical authority for defense sake. That's not what we're about. We are not creationists before we are Christians. Mm. We want people to understand that we give a defense of God's word and the authority of his word because of one main thing, because of his son, because of Jesus Christ. There is an assurance of life in Christ alone. And that's eternal life. The assurance of hope that we have is in Christ alone. But you know what? The message of that assurance of hope in Christ, it's revealed to us in his word. And I want people to know that you can trust his word. You can trust the Bible. It is reliable. It is credible. It is truly confirmable in its history. Everything about the Bible is completely true. And you can read that book and trust what it says and know what it says. And this is why we do it, because we want people to be having wonderful confidence in the scriptures so that they can look at it and say, you know what, I have confidence in the message, that message of the assurance of hope that I have in Jesus Christ. That's the main point. We want people to know the hope that is in Christ for all eternity. Mm, Yeah, I agree. Well, this has been really great, and I I really appreciate your time, uh, the time you've taken to talk with me today. How how can my listeners get their hands on a copy of your book? Uh, Just go to our website, answersingenesis.org, answersingenesis.org, and uh, you can go to our bookstore, uh, our online bookstore on the website. You can order it from there, or come visit us at our uh, Creation Museum. We've got a great bookstore here, and uh, uh, come in uh, just uh, in the greater Cincinnati area here in northern Kentucky, and and have a have a day or two uh, going through the exhibits here, and you, you'll you'll need a couple of days, you know, so often if you really want to take the time and hear some of the great presentations. But uh, yeah, you can get the book at either of those areas. And how do they find out more about the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter? Yeah, also on our website, actually, answersingenesis.org. If you if you go to that website and uh, across the top, there are different tabs and you'll see an Ark Encounter tab uh, or you can go to the Ark Encounter website, arkencounter.org uh, or our Creation Museum tab on the top of the Answers in Genesis website and it also has its own website, creationmuseum.org. Great. Thanks so much for taking your time today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed the interview and that you'll check out Answers in Genesis. I've been a big fan for um, a great number of years, and I think that it's encouraging to see the Bible shown to be trustworthy as an authority from the very first verse. Now, I know that the interview was kind of rushed. I only had a half hour with Steve, uh, and I tried to squeeze what I could in that time. But he did encourage me after the interview to try to get a hold of one of their staff scientists, including Jason Lyle, the astrophysicist that he mentioned. I'm going to give that a shot, and you know, hopefully you can look forward to that episode. Uh, otherwise, I hope that you'll stay tuned for the next episode of the, the Apologetics Podcast, in which I'll be interviewing uh, Jim Wallace from Please Convince Me on the issue of the reliability of the Gospels as eyewitness accounts of Christ. So, until then...